Welcome to episode number 127, Expectations, Yours and Others. So if you have been around this world long enough, you will quickly realize that by nature, humans are visual people, and that is no more true than in our day, where almost everything is visual and digital. Now there's nothing wrong with being a visual being, and the truth is, is because we cannot feel another's feelings or understand truly what and how they are thinking, we rely on visual cues to help us determine the, their intent or feelings. This does present us with serious problems of miscommunication, which occur regularly and probably more regularly than we would like to admit. However, because we understand that we cannot directly connect with another's feelings, emotions, or thoughts, we tend to be very good at visual changes in another person. We recognize differences in muscles, eyes, posture, gestures, and really a host of nonverbal communication to understand the full meaning of another's words or actions. How we say or do something can be far more important than the actual actions or words because the how gives away our intent, at least a portion of our intent. Now, because we understand this idea and because we see others' intent through their own actions, we learn how to demonstrate intent by mimicking how others display emotion. We have all types of physiological means and methods to demonstrate things like anger, happiness, frustration, pain, suffering, confusion, boredom, and a myriad of other complex emotional states. However, one big problem looms, very large, when we must rely upon physiology to determine intent. That is interpretation. Someone needs to know us fairly well to be able to read our intent through our physical actions. It takes time to build relationships, and this is actually one of the reasons why. Now, this is especially true because we tend to mask some of our intentions and outward physical signs when we meet someone new, or we are developing a relationship. Now, we call this putting on a good face, which the name itself is actually interesting. We use the word face when we are talking about obscuring our our intentions. Now, this leads to the second problem with interpretation, and that is we can easily be misled. Because we use physical cues to determine intent, individuals can, with some relative ease, mask and change their physiology to mislead and misdirect us. Now, of course, this is the world of the con artist. Although, you'll find that most of us use the same techniques in our lives in some form. We don't always use it for evil purposes, and in some cases, there is value in masking what we feel, but nonetheless, it is the same process. We physically alter our exterior to mask our interior. Of course, those of us who suffer with mental illness know all about masking our intentions, so that our exterior appears far more normal than what our interior is telling us. We do it so regularly that often we forget that we are doing it. And while we have many reasons we think that are good for doing so, and perhaps many of those are good, it does cause something to occur that is problematic. The first issue we find is that that if we mask our feelings on a regular basis, we can actually cause ourselves greater emotional issues and even cause our mental illness in some ways to worsen. But what I really want to talk about are expectations. The reason why I started with how we determine intent by physiological cues is important to the discussion of expectations. 
both personally and with others. Because our illness is about brain and body chemistry, but not chemistry that you can test, we struggle deeply with the problem of expectations. Even though we suffer with a very debilitating and troubling illness that really truly affects our relationships, our ability to work, our desire and motivations, and even our reality and how we see the world, outwardly, physiologically, there is no real sign that says we are suffering. Now add to this lack of external evidence, our ability to mask emotional states and appear very normal, and it can be very difficult for someone to view us as having any real difficulties or problems in our lives, rather than see us as suffering from really a debilitating illness. We can be seen as lazy, lacking motivation, idle, unwilling to engage in life, emotionally distant, grumpy, frustrated, disobedient, lacking love, being cold and unhappy. What we find in our lives is because of our masking and because it really isn't possible for someone to truly understand mental illness unless they have experienced it, we experience expectation issues. We look normal, we talk normal, and so the expectation is that we are reasonably normal on the inside, which for the most part isn't true, but the expectation is the reality for almost everyone. Our minds are wonderful things, but as I have repeatedly stated, the mind fills in the blanks of information with past experience. If we look normal and we act normal, then we are not expected to have any illness, and so most individuals will treat us as though we do not. Yes, for the most part, we desire this as human beings. We want to belong, to be part of a group, and to be accepted. And so we strive to be accepted, to hide the emotional effects of our illness. But this leads us to our daily problem. The expectations of those around us do not match what we are truly capable of doing. This mismatch in expectations versus reality creates issues, especially when we are faced with new or ongoing relationships, and more especially relationships within church membership. Within the church, we are expected to be able to teach, talk, pray, and serve in public situations, and we are expected to find great joy in doing so. When public speaking, teaching, or praying causes serious symptoms and even makes us physically ill, we are expected to push through it as though we did not have an anxiety disorder. When we are deep into our symptoms of depression and perhaps anxiety, we are expected to feel great love for those around us and to help them feel the spirit, which, of course, we cannot do because we can't even feel love for ourselves, and we struggle to even feel the effects of the spirit in our lives. Now, it is this expectation problem that is one of our greatest obstacles to overcoming the stigma and the dogma found within those that surround us. We certainly don't blame anyone for not believing our story, especially when they have never experienced mental illness. And of course, we don't want them to have the illness just to be able to understand it. But there is an expectation gap that remains. What has been most interesting to me about this expectation problem in my life is that it's not just confined to those around us. We tend to have the same problem setting our own expectations. We are inclined to expect to be able to do things, even when we have not been able to in the past. Now, you might say, well, that's just peer pressure getting to us, pushing us to feel like we need to do more. But it is more than that. Even when I don't have that peer pressure, 
I personally tend to believe that I can accomplish often more than I am able. What is most interesting to me is how often I approach gospel living as though I don't possess some anxiety and depression issues or pain difficulties. My expectation is that I can live the gospel just like everyone else. But the truth is, is that I find it difficult many times just to call and talk to even my ministering families, to go camping with the youth, to give talks, to teach, to pray. I've taught people in public situations regularly in my personal and professional and spiritual life, of course, to help with this difficulty. I've given thousands of presentations, hundreds of talks, and led too many discussions to count, but I still struggle at times far more than I expect to do those things. I believe that I can develop good relationships with those around me, but struggle far more than I ever expect. What I have found is that because my emotional reality changes regularly, so do my expectations. I also tend to view living the gospel from a more normal emotional perspective and fail regularly to factor into, into my gospel living that I have both a serious physical pain problem and a moderate emotional one. Now, because I do this, I regularly feel as though I am failing in my spiritual and personal development. I feel broken. Now, it is not a bad thing to have high expectations for oneself. But along with those high expectations, we should have a real understanding of our illness and really the extent of what we can do, our abilities. When we better match our expectations with our true abilities, we will actually find that we are happier and more content with ourselves and our lives. Many times, our unhappiness or happiness and the way we feel about our lives is more about matching or truing up our expectations with who we really are. This also includes how far we can push the limits of our abilities. Now, before I get too far down this line of thinking, I am not saying we should give in to our natural man desires. I'm also not implying that we should pursue lifestyles outside of our covenants. What I am saying is that we cannot approach living the gospel, professional, and relationship development, or any other goal in our life without factoring in our illness. Ignoring our illness will truly cause greater unhappiness. We should manage our personal expectations. Now, the question is, how? The first thing we must do is recognize the difficulty and address it. If I have great anxiety, meeting new people and developing new relationships because of an anxiety disorder, then I need to approach my ministering assignments with my symptoms in mind. So often we attempt to ignore them and avoid the mental illness factor of our gospel living. However, acknowledging what I am feeling and then approaching the assignment with my symptoms in mind allows me to factor in my difficulties and do the best I can given my difficulties or problems. For instance, if I have great anxiety calling someone on the phone or even talking to them personally, I actually can have another person with whom I already have a good relationship help me with the task. This doesn't mean they need to call for me, although that is a possibility, but they can walk beside me during a church meeting to help me with introductions and even some relationship development. Meaning, I don't have to accomplish it alone, and I can get help where I need it. I've discussed this in the past in the context of having someone say no for me when I need them to, but what you find is that adding the second person into the mix to aid and provide support can really ease the problems associated with the one-on-one -on -one interactions. Now, this is true for many situations in the gospel. Having a second person who can support you is a significant advantage when you struggle emotionally with daily life. 
They can say no when you find it difficult. They can help, help set expectations and keep you within those important personal boundaries. Now, my wife has done this for me on a number of occasions, and so have my children and my parents and actually many good friends. When you have someone beside you that understands your limitations, they can help set appropriate expectations. This is actually one of the best methods of managing your own personal expectations. To have someone who knows you and understands your illness, at least in the sense of what you can and cannot do, is actually one of the major tools of mental illness. Now, this is also true when you set out to manage others' expectations, but there is a key difference. Most individuals do not deal with transitory emotional states, at least not in the same sense as somebody with mental illness. They don't understand how you can feel confident one day and completely a mess a week later, meaning they don't understand variable abilities. Our abilities with mental illness will vary significantly based on the progression and episodic nature of the illness. There will be times when you simply don't have the capacity, desire, energy, or ability to, e to accomplish even the task of going to church. And there will be times when it is easier, and even other times when there might not be any issue. Someone who does not suffer mental illness is not likely to understand how this can be, and they are going to manage expectations of you based on what they know and understand themselves which is their own personal expectations. They will project their ideas and experiences into our sphere of expectations. Now, is this right? Probably not, given the gospel requirement to avoid judgment when we don't have a full understanding of the situation. But that really isn't the right question. Because we are human and lack the ability to feel another's emotional state, and we rely upon visual cues and changes in physiology, we will protect our personal expectations upon those we will project our personal expectations upon those around us the question is really about what will occur not what should occur we will be judged based on others perceptions of what is expected of us should we ju be judged in this way no but we will be and that is the question we should truly consider and how best to address it Helping others to set appropriate expectations is really going to be a daily battle. And many times, we're not going to be on the winning side. Human nature and natural man tendencies dictate that miscommunications will occur. We will naturally mask our inabilities and failings, and we cannot help another to understand what they have not experienced. So in some senses, we need to be okay with some level of misunderstanding as to what we can and cannot do at any given time. This can be extremely difficult, as all those negative labels I previously mentioned come into play. Unfortunately, we will need to be more forgiving and understanding as to the misunderstandings of others. Yes, we can teach and hope for understanding, but it will be limited no matter what we do. However, given all that, there are things we can do to help others set appropriate boundaries and expectations for us. If we are comfortable, we can talk to them about our condition and difficulties. Normally, this will require far more than a casual, you know, I struggle with anxiety disorder, or an eating disorder, or I struggle with depression or bipolar. Most individuals need to be taught what that means. This will require you to be educated about your own illness and be able to teach it to someone. Just because we live with the symptoms of the illness doesn't mean that we exactly know how to teach someone else about it. 
Teaching requires that we inquire as to the understanding of the person we are teaching regarding our illness and then to fill in the blanks or retrain someone as to what is real and what is not. For us to be able to do this, we have to understand our own illness. And that's actually going to take some research and time. If you have not researched your illness, then that is really the first place to start. Understand not just what your illness is, but how best to explain it to others and how it affects you personally. Mental illness is really somewhat like a virus. It doesn't affect every person in the same manner or to the same extent. Understanding your real limitations and your symptoms is very important to the discussion. Not only should you understand what your limitations are, but those events, places, activities, and environments that exacerbate your symptoms. This can truly help another person set those expectations more appropriately. Now, if you are not comfortable with someone knowing about your illness, there is no need to explain it to them. Yes, they are likely to make incorrect judgments and misread expectations, but simply understanding why can be valuable to avoiding the relationship difficulties that often arise. There is always going to be a level of misunderstanding with mental illness. That cannot be escaped. Once you accept this, it can be much easier to manage the inevitable expectation, expectations mismatch. One of the things you can do if you are not comfortable with explaining or revealing your illness is to have someone who does know of your struggles and has some understanding of them to run interference for you. They can support you when you need a little extra help. They can say no for you. They can take over in cases where you are unable to accomplish the task. They can actually help you manage your illness and the expectations of others. In the end, the one person who really understands all of this is the Savior. In some way, unknown to us, he was able to experience our illness and experience our illness at levels we cannot fully understand. He does know us inside and out, and we don't have to worry about the Savior misreading our intentions or our abilities. That is the great blessing of the gospel and the atonement of the Savior. We do have someone that fully understands what we experience, and he can guide us in setting our own expectations and helping others to set their expectations of us. He can give us strength when we need it. He can provide revelation and guidance about how best to set our expectations. Understand that when I say the Savior and revelation and guidance, that revelation comes in many ways and by many sources, and so we must listen and be content with what the Lord has allotted to us in this life. Being content with who we are is actually one of the most important aspects of setting good expectations and finding happiness and joy even when we suffer. The truth of the matter is, is that expectations are always going to be difficult to manage with our ever-changing illness, both from a personal perspective and that of others. Understanding that is actually a huge step forward in managing those expectations. Better management of our personal expectations will bring greater happiness into our lives and allow the Savior to help us in that journey will make all the difference. May the Lord bless you in your journey and may you do your part so that the Lord can do His. Until next week.